Acts chapter number four. So I'm going to put a put a, a couple of uh, a slide um, put a slide behind me and ask what you could find in common between uh, a disciple of Jesus, an actor named Sylvester Stallone, a professional wrestler named Dwayne Johnson, and a cartoon squirrel. What are these? all have in common all right there we go i hear somebody somebody yelling it they all share a name uh, sylvester stallone known as rocky Dwayne johnson known as the rock you have a little squirrel there uh, named rocky and of course jesus gave a disciple whose name was simon gave him another name peter which means petros or stone and i know what does that have to do with the Bible, right? Uh, well, in, in, in God's Word, and actually the last, um, last two weeks prior to Easter, we, we looked at Jesus' entry, entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. In that first week, we looked at what took place in Jesus' life prior to that entry, which explained why the people were so excited about laying palm branches in their clothes and hailing the Messiah. And then the second week, we, we, we followed Jesus from that, that entry into Jerusalem and what he did the rest of the week after that that led up to his crucifixion. And primarily, he walked into the temple and he cleaned the temple and he, he taught how he was the temple filled with the glory of God. And, and yet in both of those instances, in Mark 11 and in Luke 19, we, we read a similar, similar portion of Scripture where the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, hey, you got to shut these people up. They're calling you the Messiah. And Jesus answered them very uniquely. In Luke 19, as is what we read, it said, and, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I love how, how the Lord sometimes takes things that take place in the, in, the, uh, in the service that weren't planned. Aaron had mentioned introducing one of the songs, how all of nature is in tune with God. You know, every bit of nature was created by God for the glory of God. And immediately obeys God, whatever he asks. If it's a mountain that needs to be removed, it can be removed. If it's a fig tree that needs to be withered, it will wither if the, if the master just tells him. If waves need to become solid, they become solid for the master. And if stones needed a voice, if Jesus commanded the stones to cry out, they would. What's so unique is... is Nature was created by God for his glory, but so was humanity. And humanity also given the same command of let everything, Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And we're the ones to rebel against that. Every creation of God, except the one where he went and actually breathe his breath into every creation joyfully praises him and mankind seems to really struggle with that at times 
kind of makes you wonder, you know, if we're actually correct when we say that man is dumber than a box of rocks. Although we do know there are probably some men uh, that are dumber than a box of rocks, right? But, uh, but man, these rocks would cry out if God just asked them to, and God's asked us to praise him, and sometimes we don't. But this, this thought, this, these stones crying out, took me on a, on a bit of a journey throughout the scriptures over the, the last few, few weeks. And it, I, I want to share with you just how interesting it is that, that Jesus, in his brief ministry on earth, used stones. Let me show you. The first miracle of Jesus was turning water into wine from water pots that were made of stone. His greatest miracle is when he, well, arguably his greatest miracle, when he raised Lazarus from the dead after a stone was removed. Satan came to Jesus and said, I want you to turn these stones into bread. Jesus used stones when exalting his father, when he said, listen, if, if your son comes to you and asks bread, would you give him a stone? Well, if you being evil know how to treat people like that, just think how your heavenly Father knows how to give to those who ask. He exalts the love of the Father. He uses stones when he teaches grace as people bring, as these men bring in an adulterous woman and throw her at Jesus' feet. And he says, hey, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. In revealing himself, Jesus said uh, when he was talking about being the good shepherd in john chapter 10 he said i and the father are one and the response of the people was to pick up stones in condemning the pharisees on the final week of his life one of the very last parables jesus used was about a group of vineyard workers who killed the son of the vineyard owner and in closing that parable jesus made this statement but he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then, of course, we had the final week of Jesus' life when the triumphal entry, as we read, the stones would cry out. When he sits with his disciples, they look at the temple, and he said, someday one stone will not sit upon another. And as the garden tomb, as the stone is rolled in front of an occupied tomb, is rolled away to show that that tomb is now empty. I mean, I, I know it seems crazy, but like, Jesus in his just brief ministry used stones regularly. And I know you're saying, like, come on, pastor. Like, we didn't come here to learn about stones in the Bible today. But it doesn't just affect the life of Jesus. If you go back to the Old Testament, stones represented the law because Jesus, or because God wrote uh, the, the Ten Commandments with his finger on a tablets of stone. Satisfaction as the rock that, that provided water went with those Israelites and cared for their thirst of judgment because anyone who would face capital punishment would be stoned to death of deliverance when the entire nation almost was going to be overtaken by the Philistine giant. They sent out a boy and some stones, David. And then the stones of the temple and the stones of altars were places of worship. 
And again, I know you're saying, come on, Pastor, we're, we're not here to learn about stones today. We're, we're not here to, to learn about all of those things. What does this have to do with anything? And it, and it does go back. Oh, I'm sorry, I went the wrong way. It does have everything. It goes back to this statement right here. Jesus said, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus declares himself to be a stone. That's why stones matter. And now the choice is, do I reject? Who are the builders? When it says the builders have rejected the corners, the builders have rejected this stone. Or the builders were the Jewish priests. The Jewish priests and leaders who were supposed to try to help these people love God and follow God and find great joy in serving God. Yahweh like we just sang about and, and they had led the people and turned the service of God into burdensome legalistic sets of rules and then Jesus comes and Jesus comes to show what a true relationship with, the, with God was really like like what the father really wanted and when he showed it to them they rejected him and it's the same thing that is happening in churches all over the world today. There are those who are called shepherds or pastors and tasked with teaching and leading and leading people to love God and grow in their relationship with God, but instead really encourage people to do nothing more than check off a box of service. We... We have churches where, where those who come, where they, they've gathered and think, well, I, I came to church today. I gave in the offering today. I put in my time. Now I'm going home. But, but may I ask you, if you knew that Jesus would ride with you to this building today, and I, I didn't say church because you're the church, right? This is a building. But if you knew that Jesus was riding with you to this building today for the church and that he would watch as you assembled and interacted with this body of believers, how differently would your morning have been? Would it have changed if Jesus was with you? Would it have changed what time you arrived or where you parked your car? you know who's next to you right would it change where you sat in the auditorium and how you spoke with people as you came in if Jesus was right behind you and he was watching and witnessing everything you did would it change whether you kindly introduced yourself to someone you didn't know so that they would feel comfortable if Jesus was standing next to you when we sang how differently would you have sung? If you believe that Jesus was next to you when the offering plate was passed, would that have changed what you gave? If you believe he's sitting next to you right now, would it change the way you listen to his word being taught? And if Jesus were to, if you were to be so conscious of Jesus standing next to you as we closed in prayer today, would it change the way that you rushed out or lingered or talked? Would it change anything 
Because when we reduce this gathering to nothing more than a set or a series of actions, religious actions, then we're really not all that different from the group that Jesus talked to in Luke chapter number 20 and said, you have rejected the stone because they were temple goers, they were tithers, and they were active participants in action. Man, was there no relationship? You've joined me in the book of Acts chapter 4. And just in case there's someone who may not be familiar with Acts 4, let me give you a quick rundown. In in chapter number 1, Jesus instructed his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and then he ascended back to heaven. In chapter 2, we read how Peter preached what we call Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit came down, and thousands of people came to know Christ and were baptized. In chapter 3, Peter and John walk to the temple, and as they're walking to the temple, they see a man who's lame. They heal the man, they walk into the temple, and they begin to proclaim the truth of Jesus. And then we get to Acts chapter 4. In the opening verses of Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested. And what we're going to pick up is the middle of the questioning. By these chief priests, the same ones who crucified Jesus, they're now, they've got Jesus' two leading disciples in front of them, and they're questioning them, and this is what we read in verse number 7. Acts chapter 4, and verse number 7. It says, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Man, what a sermon. And I'm sure that Luke was encapsulating all that Peter was saying, but he was basically telling them if you want to know how this man was healed if that's really why you're putting me on trial it was by the name of jesus the name of jesus that jesus that you crucified the name that that is the only name where salvation comes he's the stone as he said to you just weeks ago He's the stone that you've rejected. But he's become cornerstone. If you were to read what takes place in the rest of Acts 4, which we're not going to do, here's what you're going to find. The chief priests don't know what to do with Peter and John. And so they say, well, here, I mean, the guy's healed. We can't dispute that. People all over are believing this guy. 
about this guy, Jesus. So we're going to tell them, you can go home, but don't preach about Jesus anymore. And so they tell them, we're going to release you, but you cannot preach in the name of Jesus anymore. To which Peter and John say, hey, listen, here's the thing. Should we listen to God or should we listen to you? You be the judge of that. But as for us, we cannot help but speak the things that we have seen and heard. And they walked out. And they go to a gathering of believers. And in this gathering of believers, there is great prayer that is lifted up in Acts chapter 4 by this gathering of believers as Peter and John come back in and explain all that took place. And they worship the sovereign Lord for all he has done. And then they pray for more boldness as they know they'll face more persecution, but they must go with the message of Jesus. And then it closes as they come together to make sure everyone in that company, everyone in that gathering has their needs cared for. There's even one man, his name is Barnabas. He goes and he sells land and he comes back and he brings the proceeds and says, we want to make sure that everyone in this gathering is taken care of, every need. And I'm like, wow. Wow. How cool is that to see this, this group of believers who wasn't, they weren't putting in their token duties. They were acting exactly how they would act if Jesus was with them. Because they really believed it. When they came across someone in need, they're like, we can't give you gold and silver, but we can help you in the name of Jesus. We can do that too, church. When we see people in need, we can give them what we have. We may not always have money in the pocket. I've met someone on 211 this week who was broke down uh, their car. And I pulled over and my first words were, I would love to help you, but I got to tell you, I'm not a mechanic. Can I make a phone call? Can I help you? They didn't need my help. They were already being taken care of. But man, I just, we have those opportunities. They were, they were, questioned about what they were speaking the truth and guess what we can speak the truth of jesus talking to one of our men recently and he said you know the problem brian is not just that we we have to take or that we live in the darkness the problem is is we have light in the darkness but we're not allowing our light to shine in the darkness wow that was sometimes that's so true we know the world around us is dark, but we're not taking the light of Jesus as we could. Changing the darkness is the only thing that's going to overcome the darkness is the light. When they were released, these people joined in prayer and in praise together and asked for more power and more boldness to serve and be a witness I love seeing their sacrifice for one another. You know, we can do that to church if we really believe he's with us we say it like we know it but man it's got to get down here that wherever i go he's with me and then as i was thinking through this i'm like no wait a second we just read two weeks ago when we were talking about the temple we read this same statement peter Jesus said it, Peter repeated it, and then Peter actually wrote it. And I, I want to show you what I mean. In 1 Peter chapter number 2, 
Peter, Peter wrote this in a letter to, to believers. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, right? But in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And Peter's like saying, hey, hey, believers, he's the cornerstone. More stones too. Whenever we come together, as we said a couple weeks ago, whenever we come together, we see the temple of God coming together because we're the stones. It's not that you're a stone. It's that y'all, we're together. We're all stones that when we come together, it's the temple of God. And what's the temple? The temple is where God and man meet, where the glory of God dwells, and where prayer is meant to take place. tried to be more conscious of when I get to see people away from church. Well, we saw John, I saw you at Walmart, right? Where's that Joanne? I saw Joanne at Walmart. And she was talking to Jenny. Was it Jenny? Yeah. And they're like, hey, look it, it's the temple. Ha! Yes. So I was like, I know it kind of seemed foolish. And I'm like, I put my arms around Jenny and Joanne. Like, hey, Lord, thank you so much for who you are. And I pray that you would be with these ladies, whatever they need. Like that was, that was a temple time in Walmart. We can do that everywhere because we're the stone. But Peter goes on just a little bit further in the next couple of verses. And he says this, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now get this, here's what Peter adds, and... A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So Peter adds this. He's like, Jesus is not just the cornerstone to some people, he's a stumbling block. How in the world could the Son of God? the good and gracious king that we just sang about. How could he be a stumbling block? Well, I mean, the truth is we sometimes do get tripped up when, when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations in a way and in a time that makes sense to us. There are many people who when they go through difficult times, they look and they say, that's not how it's supposed to go. trip over the good and gracious king because it didn't come in their time and in their way and my heart hurts for people who suffer my heart hurts for those who go through difficult times but let's remember he's a cornerstone and we can look back at how he has been faithful in our lives and know that even though it's difficult now he will continue to be faithful we sometimes get tripped up when our devotion to Jesus results in suffering or persecution. 
You would think serving the good and gracious king, everything would be great all the time. You would think he's a good king. He's a gracious king. He is the king. It should be great all the time. But we sometimes forget we have a very, very real enemy. He hates the king. He hates followers of the king. That enemy is coming after us. He's coming after us in our minds. He's coming after us with our hearts. He's coming after us sometimes with disease. He is coming after us, but it doesn't change who Jesus is. I remember, no matter the circumstances in our life, he's still the cornerstone sometimes get tripped up when when god's word conflicts with our heart sometimes jesus is a stumbling block to people we see this in our society today we know what the word of god says right and when the word of god says something that doesn't mesh with the hearts of people there is a quick rejection of the word to say that's not what i think that's not how i feel that's not what i want We see in our society all around us. And look at look at the gender and the sexuality and all of the questions and all of the struggles that are happening all around us. The word of God answers this. And the problem is when we as believers say, you know what? The word of God has already answered that. They say, I don't care what the word of God says. That's not how I feel. And the Son of God becomes a stumbling block instead of the cornerstone. So, but may I encourage you to be reminded? Yeah, sometimes what the Word of God says is hard. Sometimes it does seem to conflict with my heart. But, but remember this. Our hearts are infected with sin. This Word is pure. We can trust the word. Can't always trust our hearts. But the main difference, this is where I want to kind of close. The main difference between those who reject Jesus and he becomes a stumbling block and those who accept Jesus and he becomes the cornerstone, there's one word, belief. So the honor is for you who believe, is what the verses behind me say. But for those who do not believe. This past week, I was asked by the fourth grade class of Mount Carmel Christian Academy to come down and talk a little bit about salvation. They had been discussing it as a family, and, or sorry, as, as a classroom, and the question was asked, how do you know if you're saved? And so the teacher said, um, Pastor, could you just come talk to us and tell us, like, how do you know you're saved? And I said, I'd love to. So we went down, and I'm going to give you the condensed version. We got to spend about 45 minutes of their Bible hour that day talking about salvation. Man, thank you so much, Mount Carmel, for allowing that Christian academy to exist. And I took them first to the Gospel of John, and we talked about how in order to have eternal life, you must believe. And we took them to John 3, 16, which is pretty simple, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Believe. 
He believed to have eternal life. And so my question was, so class, what do you have to do to have eternal life? What do you have to believe? What do you have to believe? What do you have to believe? Well, you have to believe in Jesus. Okay. All right, so let's remember that. Well, here's my next question. What's eternal life? Eternal life, that's when you go to heaven. Uh, that's not what Jesus said. Let me show you what Jesus said. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know talking to his father they know you the only true god and jesus christ whom you have sent so so what is it what is eternal life eternal life means that you know the father and you know the son so now let's go back to that question what do we have to believe we have to believe jesus what do we have to believe about jesus we have to believe what we know about jesus what do we know about jesus well that's what this is for this tells us all about jesus right it tells us that he was the eternal creator. He, he always existed. He created everything for his glory. But that we, we rebelled against him. And so he became the, the Messiah. He was the son of God, the one sent by the father to live a perfect life on this earth. And, and that took him to the cross where he was crucified. And from the cross, they took him and they laid him in a tomb. And three days later, he rose from the grave and, and, and he lived for 40 days and then he ascended back. And right now, he's sitting at the right hand of his father waiting to come back again. That's who Jesus is. That's what we must know about Jesus and believe it. So how many of you believe that? They all raising their hand. It's so cool. Getting to see that. Then I ask the question, if eternal life is knowing Jesus, how do you know if you know Jesus? Sometimes, here's the thing, sometimes we know about Jesus. But we don't have a relationship. So I took him, and we, we did this as a church a couple of months ago. We went through the book of 1 John, and I took him to 1 John, where, where John was giving assurance of, of what eternal life is and how you can know you have eternal life. And John, the same one that wrote the gospel of John, wrote this epistle of John. He said, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. So how can we know if we know Jesus? Do we obey him? So do we get to know Jesus by obeying him? No, 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 we don't, we don't get to know him by obeying him. We, we know that we know him when we obey him. We want to obey him because we know him, right? And it says, chapter three, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. That, that doesn't mean that we don't ever sin. It means if we just keep doing the same sin, if we live in the same sin over and over and over and over, there's a good chance we really don't know him. And if we don't know him, we don't have eternal life because eternal life is knowing him. We went to chapter four. It said, dear friends, let, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. So how do we know we know God? Well, we, we, we obey him and we don't keep on sinning and we love people. But we don't just love the people we love who love us. We love people who don't love us because that's what God did to us. Man, we had a, we had a great 
time and we had a great talk and, and it reminded me because we have so many children who come in on Wednesdays and they ride the vans it's not about getting them to a place where they're willing to pray a prayer. It's about truly introducing people who don't know Jesus to who Jesus is. We want people to know Jesus because he is a cornerstone. And when we don't know him, we reject him. He becomes a stumbling block. So church... Yes, the question is, does your life display that you know God and you know that he's with you all the time? Can I ask you, for those of you that have known God for decades, are you growing in your knowledge of God? If eternal life is knowing God, wouldn't you think that knowing him greater allows us to experience more of the abundant life he offers us? The deeper we go in our relationship, the greater the eternal life that relationship becomes that we get to joy. Because like, that's, that's what I get to experience. I know you pay me for it and you guys are crazy for doing that. But you're paying me to get to know God more. And I absolutely love it. I love to sit in, in, my, in my office or I love to be at home or I love to be up there on the, the hill at Mount Zion and just have my Bible with me and, and notes and, and I'm writing things down. And as I'm growing in my knowledge of God, you know what it's doing as I'm growing? It's causing me to understand him more and to say, I want more of you. I see how great you are. How could we want less of you? We want more and more and more of you. And here's why I really want to encourage you as a church. If you don't know Jesus, you've got to know Jesus. He's the cornerstone. It's not, it's not just that you pray to prayer. It's that you truly know him. And if you know him, oh, can I encourage you? I, I know that we all have very busy lives. And like I told you, you pay me. You get to, you, I get to be a pastor and you pay me to get to read my Bible. But can I encourage you? Oh, grow in your knowledge of who Jesus is because here's what he's going to do. He's going to help you see him and greater ways and you're going to be more uh, aware of that he is in the car with me and he is with me as I'm walking in and he is with me as I'm standing and singing and he is with me as I'm opening up and reading my Bible when I go to Walmart he's with me everywhere I go I know him and I know him in greater ways so I'm very aware of it and and here's like this was so cool for me I, I I'm sorry to geek you out but this was cool for me I'm studying through stones how yeah it's like reading Leviticus, right? And I want to encourage you to make Jesus your cornerstone because as the cornerstone, he is actually the fulfillment of all the Old Testament representations of stone. Check it out. God wrote the Ten Commandments on stone. In Romans 10, 4, Jesus is the end of the law to all who believe. Woo! That was, yeah. 
The rock that followed Israel and gave them water and brought satisfaction. 1 Corinthians 10 foretells us Jesus was that rock. And he's the one that offers living water, eternal refreshment, rest for all of us. Judgment. Pick up those stones and throw it at someone who is guilty. And Jesus went to that cross and he took all of God's judgment, his just wrath against sin. He took it in our place. He bore our stones of justice. David delivered an entire nation by facing an undefeated giant with one stone. Jesus faced the undefeated giant of sin, death, hell, and the grave that no one had ever conquered. And he rolled a stone away and said, I am going to give victory to all of you, which is what 1 Corinthians 15, 57 tells us, that we have the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The worship. You know why that temple was torn down in Jerusalem, right? Why there is no one stone upon another anymore? Because you don't need the temple as a place to worship. He's the temple, and he has called us to be the temple. <laughs> what? Yeah, the cornerstone is the stone. But be careful, as he can also be a stumbling block if you don't believe. So know Jesus, church. Know the truth about Jesus. Grow, church. May I encourage you? Grow with believers. We have to be together to be a stone. We don't have to be together here, but we have to be together to be the temple. The stones coming together. Oh. Enjoy studying Jesus and the Bible with other believers. Show the love of Jesus, man. Take it. Take that love that you have experienced and take it all around you. Be extremely generous to people. Be a witness to this community. And go in the power. Go. He's with you. Just like he was with Peter and John, he's with you. So go in that confidence and power. I have the cornerstone with me. Jesus is the stone. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Man, thank you, thank you. I know it's just a sermon about rocks. I know. Man, Lord, my heart was just so excited this week to understand you more. To know you as the cornerstone. But my heart was concerned because I know that there are people who might know things about you, but they've never believed. And Lord, you, you've become a stumbling block. We don't want that. You don't want that. Lord, if there's anybody here today and they've 
they've never fully believed in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Oh, I pray that today they'd come to that saving knowledge and believe, truly believe. And Lord, for those who are here and they have at some point in their life placed their faith and their belief in who you are and what you have done, I pray that there would be a fire stoked down deep in our hearts that says, I want to know him more. And Lord, I pray that we would, as a church, that we would, man, we would go out and this community would be absolutely changed because there's a bunch of stones at work resting on the cornerstone, believing that we are the temple, that we as the temple have the glory of God, have the power of God. Oh God, help us. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've never believed in who Jesus is, I would love to take some time and talk with you and explain to you more about that. And I'll be at the back door when the service is over. Would you just please come to me and say, tell me a little bit more. I'd love to do that. May I encourage many of you, dig, dig into the word this week. Dig into Jesus this week. Know him, know him, know him, know him, know him. And know that he goes with you everywhere, everywhere you go. Jesus, would you continue to do the work in our hearts as we go? As we leave this place, we don't leave you behind. Man, may this not be a checkbox for anyone today. May this be a relationship, a time where we enjoy you. Church, could you just look up here for just a moment? I would love, we're going to sing on Christ the solid rock. I stand just the hymn. We're going to close by singing that hymn. But I would love it if you didn't leave today until you, you prayed with one person. Pray with someone that we as a church, that we as a body, that we as believers in Christ, that we would have a heart to know him greater. And think of that. If we had a church on fire to know Jesus, what a difference in this community we could make for his good for his glory. Would you stand with us? Bart, you're going to lead us.